Hey guys, Tim Moen here. Welcome to the Tim Moen Show, episode number one. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, listen, this is the launch of a big new project for me. Uh, I plan on putting out a lot of content. I'm now post-politician. I left the Libertarian Party uh, as leader uh, about a year and a half ago, and I've just been working overtime and paying bills and buying a new house and kind of getting settled into uh, a, a normal life again and uh trying to trying to build back that retirement uh savings that i blew uh trying to become prime minister but i've been really missing being out there connecting and communicating with you guys and so uh this has been a long time coming i launched this new show i started a locals account please join me at uh, locals.com uh, where just search for Tim Moen and you'll find my page and you can engage with me. We can do live streaming together. You can get involved in all sorts of ways. I'm going to be tackling all the news news stories of the week. Uh, you're going to have your share of outrage porn because you know your boy here likes to get outraged at stuff sometimes. I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum though because you know what? This show, uh, I think what's really needed out there is constructive dialogue dialogue with people that we disagree with, where we respect each other, where we try to find some common ground, where we maybe try to persuade each other, uh, where we're willing to be open to hear the other person's point of view. That's what I want to do on this show. I want to bring on people that I might not always agree with, that uh, that that um, we might have radically different worldviews and see if we can have a constructive conversation, because I think that's really what's missing in the world today. Uh, we have, uh, you know, people becoming more and more divided um, into their camps. And a lot of that we can blame on the government. And we'll probably be talking a lot about that on the show. But you know what? While the government might be the, the cause of this, ultimately it comes down to our own personal responsibility to solve the problem because we're the ones that are living in our own skin. And um, if we accept that government is going to do what government does and uh, you know uh, the news media is going to do what news media does, which is divide and conquer, well, um, we we have to find a way to make ourselves immune from that. So that's kind of the spirit of the show. I want to have these constructive conversations. Now, this show wouldn't be taking off right now if it weren't for um, my men's group. I actually started a men's group about a month ago. There's a group of about half a dozen guys. We meet weekly. We talk about um, our goals. We talk about how to be better husbands, better fathers, better entrepreneurs, better um, better community members, better at our careers. Whatever is on our minds, we hold ourselves accountable to each other. We inspire each other. We motivate each other. And so I've been crushing goals and making more forward progress where I want to be uh, in the last month than I have in the previous year, where, like I said, I've just been kind of keeping my head down, working overtime. Uh, and so for this first episode, I wanted to bring on a guy from, uh, from my men's group who actually uh, helped me, uh, you know, motivated me, I guess, to, to get this off the ground and said, you just got to gotta do it. You got to get it going. And, you know, one of the things I'm always, I guess, kind of um, hypersensitive or self-conscious about is just ranting on the mic by myself, just kind of like what I'm doing now. If I felt like I... I always feel like I sound stupid or like, uh, ah, I wish I could say that again or something like that. It always feels a little bit easier with someone else. And so I've kind of been procrastinating getting this thing off the ground. But uh, my buddy John in this men's group uh, said, you know what, I'll come on your podcast, even though I've never done a podcast before, even though I'm not comfortable out there in 
you know, in the public spotlight, I'll come on, I'll be your huckleberry, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you can bounce things off me and I'll get you going. Now, John also happens to be uh, in my men's group because uh, I invited him for a very specific reason. He's a coworker of mine. Whenever we work together, we go into two or three hour long debates about you name the subject. We just love to debate each other. And sometimes halfway through our debate, we'll switch sides. I'll take his side, he'll take my side, and we'll try to argue better than the other person argued for their own position. Uh, we just loved debating so much. So I brought him into my men's group because I wanted him to challenge me. And I wanted, uh, you know, I, I don't want just Kool-Aid drinkers in there. I want people who challenge my assumptions and just like I'm going to challenge theirs. And that's why I wanted him on the show today. And I thought it'd be great today. All right, here he is. Now, uh, he doesn't have a camera. Like I said, he's new to podcasting, but we're going to bring him in. All you out there in, uh, in, in audio land, you won't notice on YouTube. Uh, you won't get to see his gorgeous face, but John, welcome to the Tim Moen show. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Hey Tim. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the bit of an introduction there. Um, and who knows, maybe I evolved to the point of being a little more comfortable and throwing the camera on, but you know what, for now, this is a great place to start. And, you know, I can't wait to, uh, sharpen my sword and to get, get into some battles or some verbal battles with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the good thing about not having your camera on is that, you know, you'll be able to go to the grocery store and the movies theater tomorrow and you won't be molested by, by women or, or adoring fans. So that's one <laughs> good thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And not a problem up till now, but you know, when this podcast takes off, it'll definitely be a, an issue. I'm sure. Definitely will be. Definitely will be. We got big, uh, big plans here, big goals. Oh, by the way, uh, audience, if you want to get more involved in the conversation, Head on over to uh, locals.com. That's Dave Rubens. Then I just started a um, just started a page over there. Just search for Tim Moen. I think it's Tim Moen Talks or something like that. Uh, I'm going to be posting extra videos, getting you involved in conversations. I plan on being a prolific uh, content producer, and um, I have some very uh, strong opinions, uh, and I'm sure you'll want to challenge me me on them. And I hope you do. Um, so head on over to locals. That's the best place you can go to, to challenge me. And Hey, if you like what I'm doing here, if you like the ideas I'm putting out there, the, the, the vibe I'm putting out there, consider, uh, buying me a cup of coffee a month for five bucks a month. You can, you can get involved in the conversation and, uh, your boy here would really appreciate that. All right. Now you'll notice that, um, under John F's, John F's headline is that he's a normie and I'm a fringe extremist. Now, these are tongue in cheek. I don't really like these labels uh, very much. Uh, you know, quite often they're done kind of derogatory. But, you know, this is I'm, I'm trying to get cl clicks here. Right, John? Uh, I'm trying to draw people to my social media. So if they see fringe extremist versus normie, uh, I think that'll get people in. And honestly, sometimes I even self-identify as that, Tim. You know, when we go, go. into our rants. You know, sometimes, especially in the media nowadays, we always talk about the extreme lefts and the extreme rights. And I, you know, personally, I identify as being pretty close to the center or being pretty normal. And I like to see the views on both sides of things. So, yeah, well, I mean. Well, here's the thing. I mean, um, you know, those of us in the political realm, let's say, you know, where we're, we're politically active, political activists, we actually live in kind of not reality, right? We, we live in these bubbles of, I don't want to say delusion, that's a little strong, 
but we're, we're, we are, it, it's not reality. Like when I go to work at the fire station, I'm surrounded by normal people and it's kind of refreshing. It's, it's, it's kind of a load off not to have, um, you know, different conspiracy things going on and wokeness and all this stuff. Most of the people that walk around in my day-to-day -day life, they, they're almost oblivious to all the, the, the world that I inhabit on social media and that the world that a lot of my listeners inhabit on social media. And so, um, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's definitely not <laughs> uh, derogatory to be a normie. So the, the thing that appeals to me here, or that I think you do so well, John, is you, um, you are really good at arguing for, I guess, almost the status quo. Like, you know, most people kind of just go along to get along. They just kind of shrug. They haven't really necessarily thought about why things are the way they are that much or why, how institutions came to be, or, you know, they wouldn't know, have the first idea how to defend an institution, let alone uh, criticize an institution, um, you know, other than to say, you know, AHS sucks and they need to fix it. But, but they couldn't point necessarily to the underlying structural problems or something like that. Um, you know, so, so people are really good at criticizing maybe the things that affect their lives directly. Um, but I, I've never heard anyone argue for the status quo better than, than you have, I would say. And, and that's, again, that's not uh, trying to be derogatory or critical or anything like that. It's just that you, you bring up a lot of really good points that, um, cause your boy here to, to have to think to, to defend. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate okay. that. I well, mean, honestly, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll say one thing to that. Um, it's not even that I'm always arguing for the status quo. It's just that sometimes I hear, you know, views that are really polarized to what we're currently doing. And we make it sound like we need to just blow up the current system and start over. Right. And I like to try and think about, yeah, but there's been like a lot of intention of how we've gotten to where we have. And I often will agree. And this is where a lot of times we agree on things. We can say that it's not a perfect system. Right. But then, you know, I'd like to argue that, you know, you know, through Adam Smith's methods of bringing in capitalism and, you know, our society has evolved with a legal system. Sometimes I just like to remember that, you know, although it's not perfect, it's still pretty darn good. Well, absolutely. And, and I mean, this is kind of the Petersonian view or maybe even like the, the traditional conservative view, right? Which is that we shouldn't um, throw out institutions without understanding them and, or, or the purpose for why they were created in the first place. That's kind of the conservative traditional thing, you know, that it, it's like, let's not throw the baby out with the bath, bath water. And, and so the challenge for guys like me who have done a lot of, um, a lot of thinking, uh, you know, and and kind of reading about different political philosophies and why things came to be, and um, and have thought very deeply about the structural issues that are facing us. Is okay if I'm going to convince if we're ever going to make incremental change in the direction I'd like, which would be more limited government. I'm going to have to convince uh, guys like you that that there are some deep flaws with our institutions and, and how do I go about doing that? And so that's part of what this show is about is like, okay, how do I have constructive conversations? Cause ultimately if I can't persuade a normie to towards more towards my perspective, uh, well, 
in my view, government's just going to continue to grow and and these structural issues, the, the foundations of these structures, um, which, you know, I would argue were, were built on plunder and conquest, uh, are going to eventually collapse under their own weight and crush a lot of people with them. And so how do we how do we go forward? So that's kind of what I want to do. But <coughs> maybe uh, what we could do is start with um, with just kind of looking at some events that have been in the news uh, this past week, John, and, and go from there. Or is there another place maybe you want to start? No, I like it. Let's, uh, what do you got for headlines? And we'll okay. see if we can relate on something that, you know, maybe I've, I don't, I'm not a, a news junkie. So maybe we'll find something we both know a bit about, or at least I know a bit about, and uh, we can get started. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm going to show you this first clip. Now this first clip, clip is a guy named, um, Chris Sky. Have you ever heard of Chris Sky? Nope, I don't know Chris no, Sky. Of course not. You're a normie. You wouldn't know who Chris Sky is. Chris <laughs> well, Sky. Wait, which extreme party is he part of? Well, I don't know what he. he he's his own character. He's. Okay. Uh, I don't know how you would describe him, but he he became a bit of a, a celebrity uh, with the the in his opposition to the COVID regime. Let's say. Okay. And uh, he's a he's a muscle bound, short little guy very muscly, always wearing tank tops, very tattoos, got neck tattoos, very loud and aggressive and outspoken and has gathered quite a bit of following and, you know, kind of does civil disobedience, encourages people to be civilly, peacefully, peacefully non-compliant, let's say, and, and civilly disobedient when it comes to COVID policies, picked up quite a following, but I, I'm going to play a clip of him. He was recently in Edmonton. I think he's from Toronto originally. And, and here he is, he is confronting, an Edmonton city planner about uh, about 15 minute cities, um, and and so let's let's see if I can get share the screen. Let me know if you uh, if you can hear this. Let's see. Hold on. Let me find the tab. Here we go. All right. Yeah, I can see you, the screen. You can see that. Okay. Now tell. Let me know if you can hear the the audio here. But this way, what's the point? Okay. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. Okay. All right, let's play it. I might stop it at a couple points, just make a comment. But okay. But what's this way, what's the point? I'll answer that question. Do you actually want an answer to that question? Sure. Okay, we have neighborhoods right now. The city right now is divided into about four hundred neighborhoods. Has anyone? It's been that true for I, I don't know as long as Edmonton has existed. Has anyone tried to confine you to your neighborhood? No. So, so neighborhoods exist, and all during COVID, I came and went. Wait, 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 but they certainly tried under COVID. Yes. And let's just pretend for a second we go along with the 15-minute city plan, and now we have these wonderful districts. How much easier would it be for them to literally lock us down into a little tiny 1.5 square kilometer? There's going to be a stipulation in this policy that says, look, we will never have barricades here. Uh, no, we didn't consider that because... We didn't consider that, that because that's the exact plan that we have considered. Because, there, in fact, there's infinite things that the plans will not do. We're not going to neuter your chinchilla, for example. We're not going to come in. That's not something that's going to come in our mind. No, no, hold on, hold on. But listen, listen. What I'm saying is, he said, "Come in our minds." Sorry, that was was kind of juvenile. But I'm really, I'm really enjoying this so far. It's, I can see where it's heading. 
All right, here we go. But honest question. There are many things that you can imagine that could happen. No, that's not something that we can imagine. That's something that they're doing already. It's happening right now. We're not imagining it. So stop lying. It's happening right now in Oxford, England. So they're doing it there. I understand that you're very concerned. I'm trying to answer his question. You have to wait your turn. You have to wait your turn. Sorry. I know what's in the plans because I'm writing the plans. I work with the team that's creating the plan. There isn't material in there isn't I work for the city of Edmonton and I All right, let me just Well that is that was entertaining to watch. Yeah, okay. So what are your initial reactions? Who who are you siding with? Chris Sky or the city planner? Oh. I I hope it shouldn't come across as completely obvious, but I am totally <laughs> siding with this, the the rational and calm city planner right. who is continually being like overtaken only by volume and force by, I think you said his name is Chris Sky. Yeah. And Chris Sky promotes um, civil disobedience, but that wasn't, I mean, other than not using violence, what was civil about that? I mean, he's, right. he's, he's, vulgar he's derogatory he's not letting the city planner respond and i think there's a good conversation to be had there but not in that context right right and so listen uh audience are you hearing what john f the normie has to say here um that that approach that chris is using there may certainly appeal to his followers but the lion's share of the people out there, the normies, the, 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 the normal people of this world will look at that and be like, oh, that city planner is. And the city planner even got he even got some nice little uh, jabs in, too. Like he he said, well, you know, we uh, we're, we're, we don't plan to neuter your chinchillas. So <laughs> do, do you want us to put that in the plan that we will you know, refuse to neuter your chinchillas or something? I mean, it's not part of our our plan to uh restrict your travel to new year chinchillas like there's infinite things um that we don't plan to do and we can't literally name every <laughs> one of these things we don't so i thought that was that was kind of interesting um but but i mean the the broader point here is you know when i saw this and, and i'm generally pretty um you know like i'm not a big fan of 15 minute cities i i do think um that, that there might be some danger involved with them. I'm a little skeptical of them. You know, I like, the, don't get me wrong. I like the idea of having most amenities within a 15 minute walk. But, you know, when I look and see what they've done in, uh, in the UK with some of these 15 minute cities where they've actually put up barricades and, and restricted how many times people can drive their car out of their neighborhood without um, paying a fine or a fee to do so. Um, it, you know, it concerns me a little bit. And, uh, and, and while there's no plans now and the city planner could say, well, of course we don't have any plans. You know, I'm, my job here as a city planner is just to make things a little nicer for you guys. Um, make it a little bit more convenient, make neighborhoods a little bit more attractive. I certainly have no plans to, to restrict your driving. You know, one could, could see where, um, where there might be a slippery slope or, or where, now that we have districts and our goal, our stated goal is to decrease traffic. Edmonton's stated goal is to decrease traffic by 50% or decrease. And, and part of that has to do with carbon emissions. Or actually, I think a big chunk of it has to do with carbon emissions, according to news reports. 
Well, if you believe that government has the right to restrict travel by force, then then um, you could see how eventually uh, city city officials might make it a mandate to to actually restrict traffic um, or, or use um, enforcement methods to to limit how often people are able to drive their vehicles out of their neighborhood or something like that. But none of that is brought up in a kind of rational way. It's just um, they're shouting over each other. And like second to that, well, you're right. Like, I mean, their their form of discourse was really poor because they didn't actually, they weren't actually talking. They were just yelling at each other. And I mean, I also don't love some of the extreme ideas. I mean, what Edmonton is proposing, and I've read it a bit in the, I mean, I'm no expert on it, but I you know from a normie point of view, I've done my due diligence and I've looked at what the city plans are and how they're trying to develop it. It's like, they're not talking about locking anybody down and to take this extreme view that, oh, well, it's happening somewhere in the world. Like, did you know in this one place in the world and, you know, don't quote me, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's five places in the world, but just because it's happening somewhere, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen here. It's almost like a future anxiety that you have, like, oh my gosh, you know, like, well, what if they do that? It's like, well, yeah, but they're not doing that. I mean, there's crazy things happening all over the world. You know, let's look at what's happening right here and let's, let's talk about what they're actually planning. And the thing is the 15 minute plan. I mean, I live in a community that's, I hardly ever leave it myself. I mean, I have a vehicle, um, but I love the fact that I have a Costco close right. to my house and a superstore close to my house and a hospital in my neighborhood and my works here. It's fantastic. Not for any other reason than it's convenient for me. I mean, it would be even more convenient if we if we just uh, shrunk that down to like uh, a five second uh, world, you know, like get me into a, a matrix pod, uh, feed me with <laughs> IVs, uh, okay. give all my entertainment and consumption through uh, a neural network jacked into my cerebral cortex. Here's a funny thing. Here's a funny thing, Tim. I, I, I was, you know, we initially talked about having this podcast yeah. and I was going to drive to your location. Right. But, but you know what you did? You sent me a link because it's actually easier for me to stay in my house and you to That's stay right. in your house. So we're actually currently hooked into what you just made. You know, you kind of made a matrix joke in the sense that wouldn't that be easier? Well, guess what? It is easier. For I didn't sure. have to, I didn't have to drive for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, outside of my district because I could do it from the comfort of my own house. So sometimes it just makes sense. I don't have to be all concerned that, oh, well, you know what, with the rise of the internet and with the rise of, you know, podcasting platforms, I'll never be allowed to leave my house to have a face-to-face conversation again. I know I'm not going to make that, extra, that, that scare tactic. I'm just saying, oh, that would be convenient. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes I do want to see a guy face-to-face and have a conversation. Right. And, and so let's, um, you know, I, I, and honestly, I don't know very much about 15 minute cities, right? I've just, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, have some, uh, have, have heard some general things. So, so I want to have someone on here to hear what their, their real beef is with 15 minute cities. I actually made a meme, uh, that said to hell with 15 minute cities. I want 15 minute countries. Uh, you know, we have way too many countries in this world. I want to be able to walk, uh, you know, across the neighborhood, knock on my prime minister or king's or president's door, and say, "Hey, what the fuck, dude? Why, why, why have this policy? Like, change it." Um, 
but but you know let's let let me try to make the case as far as i know it for the other side uh the most reasoned case uh first of all where does the name 15 minute cities come from well i suspect um it comes from some place like the world economic forum or the un sustainable development um, uh, committee or or one of these uh global kind of um cabals that is trying to implement a a um a standard let's say for the world in terms of sustainability going forward and you remember for a long time there there all all these different governments in the world were using the term build back better right as if to say look what we need in the world economic forum put it out you know klaus schwab we need a great reset like the climate catastrophe is a huge thing this is the biggest thing on on a progressive's mind right now in terms of what scares them and so they have all these different um initiatives let's say to try to curb that and and so they send out these kind of global initiatives and they try to bring and they they uh, address them to municipalities try to sell them to municipalities and one of those initiatives is 15 minute cities wherein um uh, carbon emissions are curtailed by um you know from from a let's say uh, a less clandestine way or less nefarious way by just making things more convenient for people to walk to right so that they don't have to drive so that they naturally choose to walk or ride their bike rather than drive because it's just easier yeah um or in but in in more let's say nefarious ways actually physically block people from driving by imposing punishments on them if they do drive um like actively taking their money or you know enforcing actions against them so that that i think is the worry from a lot of these people is that look um they're adopting this 15 minute city plan which was put out by a global thing with a worldwide global development it's not uh, you know, they're, they're trying to implement this worldwide and it's expressly for the, the idea of eliminating carbon, even though they're selling it to you as it's more convenient, what their real agenda is, is decreasing CO2 emission and, uh, decreasing CO2 emissions is, uh, can be seen as anti-human because we, in order to live and survive and flourish, we emit carbon dioxide and, um, limiting that means we can't use as much energy and we can't flourish and and that sort of thing so that is i i think the the best case against um 15 minute minute cities that i can make right now i don't know if there's more to it I, like i said in the future I, i'd like to have someone on to talk about what what really is the strongest case for and against them but uh what are your thoughts when you hear that argument well i'm still just hearing i mean your initial approach was this the you know, whoever the governing body is to push and sell the ideas to municipalities, they're trying to sell it as though it's more efficient, you know, it's more efficient for people. And then you're saying the, you know, kind of the negative undercurrent is that they may start enforcing it and they may start, you know, actually, yeah, again, just forcing well, people not well, to, but I, you know, I, my, my first thought, sorry, one more thought here. My first thought is that like, you know, I'm a, I'm a business owner and I have some, you know, businesses in different geographical locations, but I purposely 
put my businesses within a certain distance of my own residence strictly because I want efficiency. Sure. I want to be able to commute, you know, only 10 minutes to get to one of the locations where I do business. And it's like, I don't understand why people wouldn't want that. And why, why would we expect well, of course that, they would. Why, why would we expect that they're going to start to, to put ticket, you know, ticketing people. And I understand it's happened one place in the world, but don't use one scenario and try and, Okay, but, it, everything but, with but, that. but John, in, in fairness, it's not just happening in one place, right? I mean, they, they have a carbon tax. They're, they're literally extorting money from people for emitting carbon dioxide. Now, so so the hold free, on. The, the okay. free market solution would be just what you said. It's like, look, markets tend towards efficiency, right? People don't want to uh, emit, uh, use more energy than they have to. And, and so, yeah, if you design a city where they don't need to use more energy to get everything they need, that's great. Um, if, if you, um, if isn't you that, design, isn't that business, what they're doing? Isn't that well, what they're doing? That, sure. That that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah. It, that's part of what they're doing. The, the worry is that they're going to do what all governments seem to have no problem doing, which is actually, uh, limiting through the use of force or through extortion or something like that, the amount of CO2 that you can that you can emit. So they, they seem to have no problem doing that, right? I mean, the carbon tax does that, uh, things like cap and trade. Um, we see, we see uh, governments everywhere using the force of government to try to um, curtail carbon emissions, CO2 emissions through punitive force. That That's a fair statement, isn't it? Uh, well, I, I want to agree with the part that the government is trying to reduce the carbon footprint with you right. know car, car, things like carbon taxes i won't i'm not going to agree with the part about the punitive force you know you and i have well, well carbon taxes that's what they are they're paguvian tax right they they punish people for emitting co2 um and, and yeah that, that, that's how they incentivize people not to emit yeah. co2 right I'll, I'll call it a, a tax i know sometimes sure. sometimes you know we often argue about just the definition of you know how extreme we want to call it but yeah they do they tax it so they try and disincentivize you know driving your car more or having a larger house because you know that's gonna the dis the distance disincentive is going to cost you more to do that right right and, and of course the negative downstream effects is that it makes everything a little bit more expensive because everything has energy inputs and these put put uh, the most marginalized people the poor people at um at risk um, more than it puts wealthy people who can, you know, uh, afford to pay the fine for emitting CO2. And so they can fly their, their private jets to Davos and, and scream about, uh, the climate catastrophe that's coming. They can Instagram from their, their private yachts about how bad, uh, the climate's getting and they'll, they'll pay the premium for that and they can afford to, but you know, the, 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 uh, the, the people are living on the margins, uh, can't afford to, and they're already paying uh, inflationary prices for for food. Yeah. You add on that, yeah. um, taxes. You know, I, it, I it increases the cost of energy, and people yeah. naturally want to do what you're doing, which is go towards more efficiency using less energy because it's cheaper. But now they're actually paying um, uh, fines, essentially for for emitting energy. That's a little bit of a different um, scenario. I mean, I agree. They are, they're adding the taxes and I don't know if I agree totally with the idea that, you know, it, it 
only affects or it affects the people on the margins the worst because at some levels, I mean, part of it I do agree with, but part of it I don't. People who live on the margins are also sometimes not driving the big F three fifty. So they're actually not being affected as much. They might be driving already a Toyota Corolla because they've had to find some efficiencies. And they're, you know, people on the margins are living in a one bedroom apartment, which their power consumption is considerably lower. Yeah, but the cost of all the goods and services that they consume from medicine to food to to you name it, all of those things presumably get shipped or trucked or different yeah, things like that. They do. And, yeah. and so, uh, I mean- But is that really the argument that we're making here? I mean, I, as much as I tend to agree with that, I don't know if well, well, uh, Chris, I mean, Chris, that, Chris is yelling at the city planner no. because he's a humanitarian trying to save, <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, the single parents out there who are really struggling. I well, just don't, I, I don't I mean, see look, it in, being in, that in way. his mind, if you go to his Twitter bio, he, he, uh, he bills himself as a human rights advocate. So I, I'm not sure exactly what his, yeah, I, I'm going to assume he has good intentions here and that he's trying to, sure. to let's call him, let, let's, let's put me out as an astronaut to put that on my resume. <laughs> sure, sure. If we're allowed to just call ourselves anything we want. All right. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I, I don't know. Let, let's, let's assume, you know, I try to assume people have good faith, uh, even if they behave badly in my estimation, but you know, that, that, that is the, the uh, concern from, you know, from guys like Bjorn Lornberg, for example, who uh, has been looking at this climate crisis for years and, and accepts all the IOPC reports that yes, the world is warming, but no climate catastrophe on, on the list of things of crises that are facing the world is pretty low down there. And he makes the argument that, look, what you're doing right now is committing to killing uh, millions of people who are on the margins, uh, especially in developing countries, in order to uh, stave off a, a, an imaginary disaster uh, in the future. So you're you're going to create a disaster right now to stave off. So that's the argument against these. Our our, our developing is is India. You know, I'm calling India a developing country. That's why I would reference it. There's a lot yeah. of poverty there. Is India talking about making 15 minute cities, or is no. are we talking about Canada right now, or or Europe? Those aren't. I mean, when we talk about people on the margins, like yeah, we do have levels of of poverty in in those countries, but like the levels are considerably different. I don't know if the level of people dying of like starvation is, is quite as high. And, and at the same time, if the government's going to implement things like carbon taxes, well, shouldn't they also be coming up with some potential solutions to actually help the, help our societies get towards, you know, so we can actually achieve these lower uh, carbon footprints. And this just seems like from their point of view, because they've always had city planning. I mean, city yeah. plan, I mean, I'm no expert in this, but I would assume Edmonton's had city planners for the last 50, 50 plus years. Well, they kind of have a responsibility to set this up anyways. I mean, they've, they set up roadways to be efficient. They set up, you know, like they have bridges in, in good geographical locations that make sense. So, Sure. Why, why is this any different? Well, and, and I guess you're right. That, and, and that's kind of um, my point here, right? Is that, yeah, the, why shouldn't the government implement this, uh, make things more efficient? And by the way, why shouldn't they um, implement some kind of fee for the extra carbon, carbon dioxide you produce in the city by needlessly leaving your neighborhood? Or something like that, right? What, like, why wouldn't they do that? Why that that would make sense? That's well within the government's purview. I mean, they have a tax on carbon dioxide. So 
So, you know, it, to me, it doesn't sound like it would be that hard a sell to, it, to, to limit, um, to use some kind of force or fine or, or punitive fee or tax or whatever you want to call it to limit uh, movement out of neighborhoods. It doesn't sound like it would be that hard to sell to someone like you. Would, would that be fair? You know what? I, I suppose I will. I'll take that stance. I will take the stance, I guess, since I'm going to be sitting in this role, that it wouldn't be that hard of a sell. And the thing is, with all economies and with all industries, you know, although there's, there's, let's say, for example, driving a car. Yeah, there's a lot of positives of driving a car. You know, people get around a lot quicker. They can, they can move large, you know, heavy payloads as opposed to walking or riding a bike. But there's also like the negative externality and the negative externality being the, the unintended consequences to people around us. So, you know, for me, being the normie and this, I don't know how this would register with your viewership, but sometimes I get really frustrated seeing the big, again, the big F-350 that's been chipped out. And every time they step on their gas pedal, a plume of smoke comes billowing out of it. I right. think for some people, they get a hard on from that. For me, I just see it as Absolutely. like, you know, it's just a, it's just a bit of a frustration for me because I guess I don't have to compensate in that regard. Well, how but, do you feel about truck nuts though? I mean, surely. <laughs> well, those. Th the thing is with truck nuts is there, there's no negative externality because I'm not breathing in. I'm not having a plume of smoke that's being blown into my, into my car by the truck nuts. Yeah. I might have to look at it and it's slightly unpleasant, but it doesn't have any unintended health consequences for me. Sure. So, I mean, sometimes like the, if, if we have more efficient ways of doing things, just like I don't like littering, you know, if somebody drives down my street and they litter yeah. and I'm like, well, that's brutal. Cause now my neighborhood's becoming a lot more dirty and I have to go be the one to either look at it every day or also I have to go out and pick up all this litter on the street. Well, I don't mind the fact that there's a, a litter tax and it's known as a fine, you know, like to me, that makes sense because it's good for, I, I don't want somebody else's bad habits or lack of community caring to, to impact me. So again, on this one topic, yeah, I don't mind like the carbon tax affects other people slightly more than me because I drive a somewhat fuel efficient car. Don't worry, people, I'm not driving a Prius, but at the same time. I don't drive a, you know, a, I don't have a, a big holiday trailer to, to pull around. So I don't need a big truck. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Let's, let's move on from this subject. Uh, I think we've kind of <laughs> beat it to death as much as we can. Okay. Um, let's see what else is on my agenda here. We could, we could talk about uh, balloons and UFOs. Oh, you know what? Here, let's talk about, here's, here's something that um, you and I might have at least a little bit of expertise on. And that is um, uh, the, the, train derailment in Ohio. And I, I don't mean that we have an expertise in train derailments, but, uh, you know, I'm, we're, we're both firefighters. Um, I'm a hazmat technician. And, um, so we could talk a little bit about what they did in Ohio and what's going on there and, and see if we can make some sense of it. So, um, my understanding is this train carrying vinyl chloride, uh, derailed a bunch of rail cars came off the track um there was I, I can't remember how many train cars full of vinyl chloride in these pressurized containers and uh from what i read the fire department there noticed that one of the containers uh was heating up and uh so they decided to offload the vinyl chloride from these rail cars into 
a trench that they had dug uh, kind of beside the tracks to try to contain uh, contain the product. And then uh, they lit it on fire and uh, and you saw these, you know, apocalyptic looking uh, fireballs and plumes of smoke uh, and, and uh, all this stuff kind of drifting northwards towards Canada. What what is your take on let's let's just talk about the tactics they use there. I imagine they they were worried about a, a blevy uh, going on. Right. And for for folks at home that aren't in, in the fire service, a blevy is a boiling liquid expanding vapor explosion. Um, you know, most vinyl chloride uh, boils at, I think, minus 14 degrees Celsius or something like that. So if it warms up above minus 14 Celsius, it immediately becomes gas essentially. And so in order to transport these things in, in cars, they have to pressurize them and, and pressurize them down to liquid form. And the, and the danger is if these uh, pressurized containers um, heat up though, that, uh, that uh, product can start to boil and expand. And next thing you know, you've got a giant bomb on your hand and uh, vinyl chloride is apparently very uh, flammable and explosive. And so uh, these, they were worried about these rail cards exploding. And I imagine that's why they offloaded the product. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, do you have any specific questions on it? I mean, that's kind of a, well, I, I, I'm with yeah. you. I mean, they, their tactic was, to dig a trench and I would hope that they took the, you know, the safest approach and the approach that's going to have the lowest impact to human life. Cause for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, just cause ethically and morally that's the right thing to do, but also like liability wise, it's going to be a, the right thing to do. You know, they, the train company or whoever was hauling the, the goods and services who would be responsible, the responsible party, you know, whether it's whether it's from an ethical standpoint or just from a legal standpoint, they don't want to end up killing anybody right. as a result of this train crash. So, I mean, I, I think we'd have to keep discussing it more, you know, to, to debate it. Though. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, initially I saw some people wondering why they why they burned this stuff and put it up into the atmosphere. Right. So do you have any speculation as to why they lit, why they did a controlled burn? Why would they light the stuff on fire? Yeah, sure. I do. Do you like stuff? You know, do, do you like plastics? You know, I look behind you, you have furniture and I'm sure there's some petroleum products that goes into everything in a house nowadays. And for sure, these chemicals are what we need to, to make products. I don't know specifically what that chemical makes, but, you know, living in Strathcona County, we have uh, an enormous amount of chemicals moving around, but that's what makes the world. So, the thing is, if we like stuff and all of us appreciate our modern standard of living, well, sometimes we need to have these chemicals that get shipped around to different factories in order to enjoy our quality of life. But sometimes there's going to be accidents. And I mean, obviously, that's a problem that there was a train derailment. I don't know what the cause of it was, but inevitably, like no matter what you do, there's going to be these, these events, these emergencies that occur. So when it occurs, yeah, you have to just do the best you can at the scenario. And oftentimes you're faced with what's the worst of all these options or sorry, right. what's the, what's the what's least the worst, what's the least, what's the worst? least yeah. worst? Like, like no, there's no option. That's the best because 
a blevy is obviously not that good because it could certainly take human lives in the short term. You know, like it can yeah. kill somebody immediately. Now, I know burning it and putting it in the atmosphere has a lot of consequences too, especially there may be longer term effects. But when looking at the two options, if I was only faced with those two options, I I don't know what I would do, but I could see them potentially like their, their thought process of just burning it off and hoping that it disperses into the atmosphere and it doesn't kill anybody. Well, yeah. And, and that was kind of my take on it too, was like, okay, they, they've got them in these trenches. The trenches probably aren't lined because they wouldn't have time to line these things with plastic. So this stuff, you've got all this product that's, that's toxic sitting in a trench, seeping into the ground and, and eventually getting into groundwater. You've got, um, you know, uh, tens of thousands of liters of this stuff just waiting to get into uh, streams. So they probably said, okay, the least worst option is to light it on fire. That's going to create um, hydrogen chloride. So it creates, you know, hydrochloric acid when it burns. That's one of the byproducts, but it's going to go up into the atmosphere. And, and you know, one of the, the, the mantras of, of hazmat is the solution to pollution is dilution. Um, you know, if it goes up into the atmosphere, it'll eventually disperse and, and become weak enough that, um, you know, it shouldn't harm anyone, the hydrochloric acid. But of course, there's other products in there. So so now, you know, the, the issue is we've got uh, people being told, I guess, by the EPA and authorities there that it's safe to go, go home. And they're seeing obvious uh, rainbow stuff laying at the bottom of groundwater. Uh, there's some kind of product in there. There's dead fishes popping up. Some One lady said that uh, her seven chickens died. She was like, I don't know, I think seven miles from the site or something like that. Um, and, and no one seems to know what what's causing this. There's a lingering smell. Some people complain of feeling sick, and yet they're being told it's safe. Um, and, and, of course, people are upset. They think the EPA is out to get them or something like that or you know, different things like that. My take on it is that the, these so, so-called experts simply don't know, right? They, they don't know the answer. They, they don't know what the chemicals are. This is an uncontrolled situation. Uh, there, there's, they, they don't know what the repercussions are. They've got some monitors and, and some gas detectors, but they can't, these detectors can't possibly pick up every possible contaminant. So as far as the contaminants that they're testing for, in the areas where people are living, there's nothing maybe showing up on their detectors on, a, on their analysis, but that's not to say that they know everything. So probably a little irresponsible to say it's safe to go home if that's what was said, but also, uh, it, it's, um, it's, you know, like th th there's a lot of conspiracy, a lot of the, the problem I have with conspiracy theorists is that people think that that there is a cabal of puppet masters out there kind of controlling the strings that they're super geniuses or something and they can but in my experience that's just not the case most people are just like you and me like we're idiots we, we don't know what the right answer is we don't know exactly what's going on we can't see all the variables that's the um, big that's the big one we just don't right. have all the details in front of right. us right and and especially in a situation like this where you know, you're the incident commander. I mean, I can imagine it probably took hours to figure out exactly what he was dealing with. You know, he probably figured out vinyl chloride right away, but, you know, trying to figure out and get answers about what's the best option 
to go forward here? What's the chance of blevy versus what's this thing going to do in groundwater versus what's it going to do burning versus what are all the other chemicals? I mean, you're, you're operating in a fog of, of war essentially. And, and that's true of every single person along the line from the, the, the normal Joe blow citizen in the town to, um, you know, the, the train conductor who's never derailed a train before and doesn't know what, what's going to happen to uh, the railroad company owner to, uh, you know, the EPA people who are like, uh, you know, like might be their first day on the job or like, you know, may, may have only been working there a few few months um, dealing with this totally unprecedented kind of unexpected in terms of, we you know, so so these people, the, the, the general public thinks that that the that there are experts out there that that are that have all the answers and the truth is that there is no expert and and that might be more scary than the idea that that there are puppet masters out there who are controlling everything and know exactly what's going on and plan this derailment or something like that and i couldn't agree with you more tim i mean like when i was you know when, you, when you're a kid you look at you know say a prime minister or a president you think that well, they're the president. They must know so much. But, you know, like, look at our country. You know, do we expect yeah. that our prime minister knows everything? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, like, like, well, for wow. real, though, like put your hatred aside or your your hard thoughts aside. But like he, he rose to a power of authority. But does his authority make him all knowing? Well, absolutely not. Well, you right. also talked about an incident, an incident commander. You know, it's a, whether it's the the fire chief or whether it's the police chief or whether it's the head of the train company, whoever takes incident command of this, you know, they're just a human being too. And I mean, you're right. Like, I'm sorry to tell the audience, but, you know, there's no one person that just knows everything. And the person who thinks they know everything, they might, they might be the, you know, my biggest fear of all because they're so dumb that they don't even know what they don't know. And, right. and and a lot of this information, you know, I have such a hard time with it. You know, oh, a lady showed up and her seven chickens were dead. It's like, well, holy smokes. Like, okay. Like that does sound fairly bad. But then, you know, the yeah. question, the questions come up like, well, how long were you gone for? Like, did you not feed these things or you know, did you leave them? Well, it, I mean, it, yeah, no, I know. I, that was my initial thing too. But then um, they released some footage from her home security camera showing that the chickens were alive and walking around and, zipping around like an hour or two before yeah. the derailment or something. So it does seem like something. And they could uh, have died. The thing is they, they yeah. truly, they could, there could have been an exposure in the air and they died. And yeah. the thing is, you know, when the winds shift, it, a lot of it depends on when the winds are, you know, the direction the winds going, where those toxic fumes are going. Maybe, maybe they did die, but when the incident commander and the, the city, uh, you know, the city personnel who were going around monitoring the air, well, when they go to her neighborhood and they monitor the air and it shows up as being zero parts per million of XYZ chemical that will kill you. Like if it, if the monitors are showing nothing, well, what do you want them to do at that point? If you told her, yeah. if you told the same person, oh no, our, we have no reason to believe that your house is harmful as far as pollution goes, but we still don't want you to go there. Well, you're going to have people freaking out. Like you're going to have conspiracy theorists get upset about the, you know, the government for the exact opposite. It's like, I want to go to my house. It's my God given right to be at my house. Like, well, shit, I can't make everybody happy in this scenario. Can I like somebody's going to be mad. So, you know, the, especially here's the other scenario is they're burning it off. Well, initially they would have evacuated a massive area or I'm, I'm sure they would have tried to evacuate a massive area and that's the right thing to do. 
but as the time goes on, you know, you do have to try and get people back to their houses. And all we have at this point is air monitor and equipment. And if you as the individual don't feel like it's safe to go home, you're also not at, not at gunpoint to go home. Right. So if she's uncomfortable, it's like, well, okay, then go stay at a family member's house until the, the, the plume burns off or go grab a motel or grab your tent and go camping for the weekend. Like I get, it's not just that simple. You might have animals to look after and you might have, you know, an elderly grandma that, you know, you can't go camping with, but life's, life's tough. I mean, it's hard right. to make every situation just work perfectly for everybody. Well, that's, that's just it. And I mean, that, that's the message I really want to drive home here is that look, um, people are not, uh, they don't have all the answers. They, they may even have very few answers, especially in situations like this. I mean, don't trust um, that the authorities are going to be able to solve all your problems, that they're going to be able to identify all the potential hazards and the carcinogens and stuff. They just, they're not that smart. They're just not that capable. Um, and it's an unrealistic expectation. So don't imagine that the government is going to be the solution to the problem here. Oh, um, I'm gonna, can I put a caveat on that too? Sure. I think I think also, although the government might not have all the answers or the incident commander, I don't think Joe Blow has all the answers either. For sure. So when Joe Blow is, you know, raving about what he thinks is right, it's like, well, hold on. I mean, although the authorities don't know everything, we should probably listen to the experts in the field. Like, you know, Tim, you know more than the average person about uh, hazmat as because you're a hazmat technician it doesn't mean everything you say is perfectly all in, like right. perfect every time but for somebody who knows nothing about it they should at least take the time to listen to your opinions and how you came to your conclusion yeah well and um listen here's my advice for residents of east palestine um you know be be cautious uh, if you need to return home because uh, you don't have any other choice, decontaminate your surfaces with water and soap if you can. Um, you know, wear uh, wear a, a mask, uh, an N95 at very least, or ideally, um, even better respiratory protection. You know, take some samples if you can. Brush off the surfaces. Keep it in little baggies for future analysis. To to you know, maybe one day they'll, they'll figure out exactly what kind of contaminants there are and, and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, just take, just, but, but ultimately take some personal responsibility here and, um, and, you know, uh, use, use exercise judgment and don't, don't imagine that the government's going to have all the answers. And, you know, part of the, the issue too, is that, you know, people are being told, um, from what I understand that it's safe to go home. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that's, I, I don't know how you get that, how, how you can responsibly say that. Um, you don't know what you don't know, you know, but anyways. Well, you know, I just want to ask you this, you know, we live, you live in a city and I live in a city. They both have a lot of refineries around them. Have you ever got up in the morning and walked outside and smelt some, you know, some byproducts of the refining process? Yeah. Well, how do I know that that's not going to kill me either? Sure. And again, it's like, you don't know what you don't know, but that goes for every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, if you, if you don't feel that comfortable, you know, I mean, some people don't feel comfortable even living in the city I live in. So they live at a, at an acreage or on a farm, you know, outside of town. But 
you know, we do have air monitoring that happens and that's, it's at least something. And other than that, you know, sometimes you just got to go on with your, your life and yeah, you're right. Like take some precautions here and there, but you know, eventually that plume of smoke is going to be gone. I mean, that's nice. It's a self-limiting problem. And then when it's gone, if you're, you know, if you were feeling uneasy before you can move in when it's, when it's burnt up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of, of the, the causes of this accident, um, you know, I've heard everything from, there's been some deregulation blamed. Um, Trump apparently did some kind of deregulation about, uh, electric brakes or something like that going he, through. He, he probably got forced by the libertarians. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. We want to deregulate everything, but I, that's actually a, a bit of a misnomer. We, we want re- regulation to abide in the appropriate authority. And so in this case, the appropriate authority would be um, something like the town or, or the property owners of, you know, the people that have the most at stake when there's hazardous materials going through their community. Uh, but what I suspect has happened is that that ability to, to be that authority on stuff going through the community has been outsourced or, or stripped of them and given to either the federal government or the state government. Um, you know, they, they, for example, will use expropriation measure to, to, to basically take land, to punch a railroad through that's called crony capitalism. And, and, and now they're abiding by whatever federal or state standards rather than the municipal standards that otherwise might come into play. So if I were the owner of a city or entrusted with steward stewarding a city by virtue of being a mayor or something like that, I would want to make sure that any hazardous goods that came through my property uh, would, you know, that, that there were certain precautions taken, that it was coming through slowly, that they were used, meeting certain safety standards, that the infrastructure was up to snuff, that they maintained it. I'd want them maybe to have uh, multi-million dollar uh, funds in in escrow so that if they ever did violate their contract with me in any way uh, by not keeping things up to snuff or God forbid having an accident because of, of negligence on their part, that money could then be used for reparations and, and repairing the damage they did different things like that. So, I mean, that, that, that would be, uh, highly regulated, but it would be regulated by the correct, um, by the property owner, let's say. Can I, can I, can I argue with you on this? Tim? Sure. Of course you can. That's okay. why I'm uh, on here. Well, I know, I know. I just say, I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to, you know, maybe, maybe beat you at this one here. Huh? Oh kidding. boy. <laughs> okay. You know, so with, with that idea, with that idea that we want to leave it up to, you know, each municipality, so we have, you know, we're talking about railroads in this particular instance, because that's what happened was a uh, rail car crash. That's going through how many municipalities, you know, they're, they're transcontinental. They go all yeah. the way across the entire North America. They're going through a thousand different municipalities. And we're saying we want to leave it to each municipality to determine what, you know, what kind of regulations now, hold on. Now let's, you, you just said, you know, if you were the mayor, so now like, let's, let's pretend I'm uh, I'm the mayor of one of these, but I'm going to act as one of the, the woke um, activists, you know? So I'm really, I'm really anti everything. Sure. Uh, as far as like, you know, carbon goes, well, why wouldn't I just make my restrictions so 
unrealistically high that the train now can't even go through it. Now we have a railroad that's in the country's best interest. It's in, you know, each individual benefits from a railroad because it reduces the cost of goods transported per, you know, per mile. Right. We're getting and, into big subject here. Um, and we're, we're coming up on, uh, I wonder if we should maybe save it for another time because sure. what we're talking, because I mean, we, we you know, I, I'd move to an example that's a little bit easier to, to wrap our heads around that doesn't have as many complexities and moving pieces. And that's just simply, you know, I'm a farmer that owns a land and they want to punch a pipeline through. Um, and, you know, I want to make sure that certain safety precautions are taken, but they just go ahead and expropriate my land because it's for the greater good yeah. and punch that pipeline through or something like that. That That is, you know, the example I would use. But, you know, we'll, we'll save this. For, we've, we've just hit an hour, uh, John. And uh, guys, uh, I want you to join me in thanking John the Normie for, for coming into the lion's den here and uh, having a, a productive debate with me. I, I have a feeling this is not going to be the last we see of John. We just got to hit the tip of the iceberg on all the things that we could argue about, all the, all the things we could go down. I'm determined at some point in the history of this show, we're going to get some movement on John the Normie. He's going to come over to my side. I'm pulling you back too. I'm going to pull uh, maybe, you. Maybe you'll pull me back the end, you, you might identify as a friend. Hey, you know what? I would love to become a, I'd love to become a normie again. I would love that. It would be so much less of a hassle. I would, you know, my career wouldn't be in jeopardy, all these different things. Yeah. So, so maybe you'll pull me over to the other side. But uh, listen, guys, once again, please um, join me at locals.com. Go to locals.com and search for Tim Moen or Tim Moen Talks and uh, become part of the conversation. If you enjoy conversations like this, if you want to see more John the Normie on my show, uh, you know, please throw me a, uh, uh, a cup of coffee, five bucks on, on locals. Uh, it's Dave Rubin's platform. It's, it's uh, all about free speech. Um, and uh, we'll keep this going and I'll be able to expand this show, bring you more great content, bring you more great guests. And, um, and, and you know, I won't have to, uh, have to work so much overtime for this bloody socialist healthcare system uh, that's falling apart. I'm tired of being the glue that's holding socialism together, guys. Help me out here. All right, John, thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Guys, peace out.